Good afternoon. I was tagged to do the summer school book tag by Hannah at Hannah's Books. And it's not every day that I get tagged. So uh, thanks. Thank you. This is a, a tag by Doris at All the Books. I will uh, link to both those channels below. Problem number one, language arts. Tell us about a book you were assigned to read in school. I was lucky to have a lot of really good teachers and uh, a bunch of good English teachers. I especially remember reading Huck Finn and I especially remember uh, the scene in Huck Finn where Huck is uh, with the runaway slave Jim and Huck has like this moral crisis because he knows that if he doesn't return the runaway slave to the slave's rightful owner then Huck Finn is going to go to hell but he feels conflicted because he has like a relationship with this slave who's like now his friend and he doesn't want to turn his friend over uh, into servitude so he decides that uh, he will he will go to hell rather than turn his friend over and it's such a great great moment it's like the intersection the the conflict between religion and morality and what happens in that conflict uh, so that was an example of a scene that stayed with me in terms of like the broader question here which is what's what it provokes in me is like the relationship between my education and who I am now and so sort of I think about the impact that teachers have had on me and, and I've had a lot of great teachers and I think that uh, the best English teacher that I that I had the one that I read Huck Finn with uh, one, one of the things I think was so special about that classroom is it was an insight he was able to just give you a sense day by day of like what it's like to just be a reading adult an adult whose part is life is just to read to read periodicals to read books classics and modern literature and it was like he was just giving us an insight like giving us access to his intellectual life like bringing us in on this secret on this lifestyle that he was living that he was embodying in himself and I think that was really really unique um, and it had a big impact on me obviously and so I think um, to some extent the way in which I, I try to <laughs> embody that in myself is, is sort of a reflection of, of that experience in high school okay math when will I ever use this again share a book in which the characters need math skills so when I was tagged at this I, I had no idea how to answer this question I thought I was just gonna skip it because I, I, I couldn't really think of anything um, but between the time I was tagged and now I've been reading Foucault's pendulum as part of a read-along that Jason Harrigan is doing at Byways in Bookland and uh, sure enough right in the beginning of the book there's a lot of really good mathy content it's my second book by Umberto Eco I've read the name of the rose the book opens with our narrator this guy Casabon in a museum and he's admiring Foucault's pendulum which is like this pendulum that is set to swing in a one-dimensional plane meaning you sort of release the bob pendulum being a bob on a string attached to some pivot point at the top you release the bob and it uh, oscillates back and forth and so you'd expect given the fact that we're on earth observing a pendulum that it would just continue on this one-dimensional or two-dimensional plane forever but the reality is if you give it enough time if you're not at the equator um, the plane of oscillation is actually going to shift over time 
So it maybe starts on this two-dimensional plane, and the bob is going back and forth in this two-dimensional plane, tracing out an arc on this two-dimensional plane. A few hours later, that two-dimensional plane is going to be shifted and shifted and shifted. And if you're at the north or south pole, that will be a 24-hour period for that two-dimensional plane to do a full rotation. And why? Why is it that if you're at the north or south pole, that plane of oscillation is going to do a whole 360-degree revolution? And of course, the reason is because the Earth spins. And so the bob is fixed, but the Earth is actually spinning underneath it. And so, yeah, Kazabon admires this uh, mathematical, physical construction. And there's like one, one part of the book where he's like, uh, where he, where he, <laughs> let's see if I can find it. So there's this interesting line in the book, quote, it was not so much the earth to which I addressed my gaze, but the heavens, where the mystery of absolute immobility was celebrated. The pendulum told me that as everything moved, earth, solar system, nebula, and black holes, all the children of the great cosmic expansion, one single point stood still, a pivot, bolt, or hook around which the universe could move. So what is he talking about here? So I actually studied physics in college. I have an undergraduate degree in physics. And so the first thing I did was I, uh, I took out my... Cassidy, Foles and Cassidy, Analytical Mechanics, 7th edition, and I jumped right to the page where they talk about uh, Foucault's pendulum. And I reviewed, right here, the Foucault's pendulum, I reviewed those equations of motion, which I had studied in college. And basically, what happens is, <sighs> what's going on in Foucault's pendulum is that we're not in an inertial reference frame. What's an inertial reference frame? This is like one of the big fundamental mysteries of Newtonian mechanics. This is like one of the big, big issues in, in Newtonian mechanics. Newtonian mechanics works in an inertial reference frame. When Isaac, Sir Isaac Newton formulated his three laws of motion, uh, force equals mass times acceleration, for every action there's an equal and opposite reaction, an object in motion stays in motion, he said these are true in an inertial reference frame. But what is an inertial reference frame? It's very unclear. As far as Newton is concerned, an inertial reference frame is any frame of analysis where all these laws are true. So we tend to assume our, our, uh, a stationary object on the surface of the Earth is an inertial reference frame. And so you, you drop the pendulum back and forth. If we're in an, an inertial reference frame, you'd expect to stay on the same 2D plane. But the plane is shifting. It's as if there's an extra force acting on the pendulum, which tells us we're not in an inertial reference frame. And so we have to do a coordinate transformation. That's what this whole book is about, how we have to move from our own reference frame, which is not an inertial reference frame, to the inertial reference frame, which takes into account the motion of the Earth. It's like this master reference frame. And so I think that's what's happening in, in Foucault's pendulum in that line, where he's like, he looks his gaze to the heavens, and he says, where is the inertial reference frame? And of course, general rel relativity is born out of the fact that there actually is no inertial reference frame. What does that mean? There is no fixed point of our universe. Everything in the universe is in motion. Everything is accelerating relative to everything else. The universe is expanding. And so part of the way that Newtonian mechanics ends up breaking down and needs to be replaced is, is you can't find an inertial reference frame. What does that even mean? Um, so anyway, that's, that's part of the thing that Kazaban is uh, struggling with in that scene as he admires um, the pendulum. And it gets better than that. I'm actually a computer programmer uh, by profession. And not much longer after that part that we just read, uh, there's another scene where, where he's trying to crack a password on a computer. 
And so he actually writes some computer code in the language BASIC, which is like this early computer programming language, um, to generate all the permutations of the name of God to use as passwords to crack a computer password. And uh, interestingly, um, as a computer programmer, I noticed that there are, there are some bugs in the code. It's not exactly correct. It's not doing exactly what I think the author um, thinks it's going to do. And of course, it's, it's all very aligned with sort of the themes of the book, these like big themes of the power of words and the power of codes and the power of symbols and what is computer programming if not um, a whole art around symbols and codes and um, information, communication which I think is what Foucault's Pendulum is about. As far as, as, far as sort of the, the meta questions that these sort of prompts provoke, um, math was always a very, uh, the subject that I assumed I would pursue. It wasn't until the last minute in college that I sort of switched my major from math to physics. Uh, from a young age, I was, I was very much into math and I excelled at math. I, I guess that's gonna be my answer to the question of, um, exploratories, what category of extra non-core classes did you take the most of in high school? So the answer to that question is math. Uh, it was like I did um, a little bit of uh, math Olympiad stuff when I was in high school. And yeah, from a young age, I was exposed to some really good math books, just like a small sampling from my bookshelf. I read these books when I was like, between the ages of 11 and 14, I read a lot in that group of time. And I remember a lot of what I read, um, but just like books that really turned me on to math. So, uh, Journey Through Genius, I remember this book so well. I, I think I know almost all the proofs off the top of my head in this book. Um, it's like maybe 11 or so, just gorgeous, elegant proofs. Um, it was like right at the perfect level for me when I read it, uh, all throughout history. And it's just like, yeah, I mean, it was, it was wonderful um, to be turned on to the, to the beauty and the elegance of mathematics. Uh, the, the last few proofs here relate to infinities, which is such an interesting topic. Um, the way that there's different types of infinities, the fact that the irrational numbers, uh, the sort of the non-terminating decimal expansions um, of, of all the numbers between the rational numbers, which can be represented as fractions, uh, cannot be counted. It's an uncountable infinity. And these infinities ended up uh, playing a big role in, in one of my favorite fiction writers, which is Jorge Luis Borges, who deals a lot with infinity and different types of infinity. Another one is uh, the constants of nature. I think I read this book when it came out. Just sort of also one of these books that turned me on to physics at a young age, thinking deeply about like what are the parameters that define our universe? What are the numbers that are true everywhere? Like the speed of light, the number of spatial dimensions that we live in. And it, it's sort of mind bending stuff because you can imagine universes where the speed of light is different. You know, there's no reason as far as we could tell why the speed of light is what it is or why uh, the, the energy of a electron is what it is, or the strong nuclear force is what it is, or the fact that we live in three spatial dimensions and not five, or something like that. And just like a really uh, profound, philosophically thought-provoking exploration of these questions. Um, lots of really good stuff in this book. And I remember I was really young when I read this book, and I, I absolutely loved it. A Mathematician's Apology by G.H. Hardy, which is a mathematician writing sort of a defense. Uh, apology, of course, in the classical sense for the kind of work he's dedicated his life to and has a very, very memorable opening. Maybe I'll just read that. Quote, it is a melancholy experience for a professional mathematician to find himself writing about mathematics. The function of a mathematician is to do something, to prove new theorems, to add to mathematics, and not to talk about what he or other mathematicians have done. 
Statesmen despise publicists, painters despise art critics, and physiologists, physicists, or mathematicians have usually similar feelings. There is no scorn more profound or more on the whole or on the whole more justifiable than that of the men who make for the men who explain. Exposition, criticism, appreciation is work for second-rate minds. End quote. Wow, so when I first read that, I was like, I really bought into that. <laughs> I was like, that's intense. That's so impressive. And then, yeah, the, the main idea of the book is that math is not about utility. It's not about how useful it is. It's just about beauty. It's about the patterns. And he says, there's no, he says in the book, there's no room for ugly math. Uh, it's not just about if it's true or not true. It's about, it's about the aesthetic. And he talks about the immutability, the eternal nature of mathematics. All these are like sort of very romantic, highfalutin ideas, which uh, at the time I, I was really, uh, really excited by. Okay, social studies. Share a book from your TBR that is translated or deals with the government. Uh, I think I'm going to skip this one. I don't, I don't maintain a very coherent TBR. I'm sort of, I make decisions on a whim. I mean, I, I have read a lot of books in translation. I read, uh, I like a lot of, for example, Hebrew, Hebrew literature. Um... South American literature. I've read a lot of, uh, you know, one of my favorite books of all time is The Dictator's Handbook. It's a great book about government. I've read a few others, but yeah, nothing, nothing comes to mind for this one. Number five, we answered exploratory. So math was the subject that I took the most of in high school. Uh, I was a big math guy. Six, common core. Share a good pairing of a fiction with a non-fiction book. Hmm. Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe my answer would be uh, Foucault's Pendulum with, with, a, with a good mathematical uh, analysis of Foucault's Pendulum or, or the dynamics, you know, Foucault's Pendulum with, a, with the physics of Foucault's Pendulum or even um, a book like uh, The Name of the Rose with, with that sort of history, the Mi Middle Ages, another Umberto Eco, Umberto Eco book, of course. Because um, when I read The Name of the Rose, uh, I felt like a lot of it, went over my head because I wasn't uh, so well-versed in that history. So maybe a, a good historical book would be a good pairing for, for the name of the rose. Research. What is the last topic that inspired you to seek out books so you could read up on it? Um, I, I seek out books all the time for my job. Uh, I have books scattered throughout my apartment on, you know, computer vision and machine learning and all sorts of topics. Um, I, I even uh, read a, a business development book recently because uh, it was, you know, related to the kind of work that I do. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's my, the obvious answer. On, on a more larger time scale, I'm always trying to learn more about, you know, the history of the United States, racial issues in the United States. And so I've, you know, read a lot of books about that. Uh, there was a time when I, like, was reading every memoir I can get my hands on. I'm not such a big reader, so it wasn't like I read so many memoirs. But, you know, for me, it was a lot. Like, I was reading a lot, like a memoir, uh, every, every memoir I could find at one point. Um, okay, next. What subject area would you teach if you were a teacher? That's a great question. Um, so I, one time when I was in college, I uh, went to, had a good relationship with one of my former teachers and she invited me to uh, another university to give a class to her class. She was an English teacher and I gave a class on the mathematics of Jorge Luis Borges. And I got to talk about um, enumerability and infinities and different types of infinities and how they play out in Borges' literature. Um, for my final paper for my Borges class, uh, I wrote a paper about Borges and information theory, which is sort of the mathematical under, uh, foundation for 
how information is, is communicated, transmitted. What does it mean for something to contain information? What's the spectrum between information and entropy? What's the relationship between entropy and information and randomness and all these things? So uh, that could be very fruitful, sort of the intersection of literature and, and math and science. Uh, as I said before, I am considering doing a, a video at some point if I have the time on, on the math and science and Foucault's pendulum, um, but we'll see if I ever get around to that. But another answer, which I think is a little bit not what the person asking the question um, is looking for, is that uh, I actually, I, I am a uh, coach for a high school wrestling team. So maybe, maybe the correct answer for number eight is that I would be a PE teacher, phys ed. And I, in my own personal life, you know, everyone has different experiences. Um, in my own personal life, sports have been extremely important. Wrestling, uh, which is my sport uh, in college and high school, uh, has been extremely important to me. Um, and if I were to, like, for example, if I were to make a list of the most impactful moments in my life, the most memorable, powerful, in some ways, maybe positively transformational moments, you know, so maybe I would obviously, the, the top of the list would be family-related stuff, like stuff with meeting my wife or dating or having my kids or moments with my kids. But... But high up on that list as well, when you, when you get, you know, my wedding, things like that. In addition, our, our, our moments, you know, like all night drives by myself to a remote wrestling tournament that I've been training for, you know, for, for three months, training my, as hard as I can and um, sleeping three, four hours in a motel on the side of the road so I can get up super early. Um, and, and make friends because I'm all by myself at this tournament and, and drill and train in the morning and then compete in the afternoon where, you know, I win some matches, I lose some matches. Those are incredible, incredible moments, incredible memories. And again, uh, it's not for everyone. Sports aren't for everyone. Not everyone needs that. But I think for some people, it's a, it's a tool. It's an outlet. It can provide a kind of mental health, a kind of, uh, it's a way to wrestle with demons maybe or whatever it is. Um, but for me, that, that's very powerful um, and very important. So maybe that's my answer, uh, PE teacher. Um, and then question number nine is share a photo from your school days. And then question number 10, tag some fellow lifelong learners. I'm not much of a, of a tagger. I don't really want to tag anyone. Um, anyone that I think I would tag was probably already tagged. Um, but thank you so much to Hannah at Hannah's Books for tagging me. Um, this was a lot of fun. It's always great to reflect on the way in which our childhood is a prophecy for adulthood and the ways in which we're formed by our educational experiences and the ways in which teachers, you know, can have a huge impact on our lives and the things that we read at a young age can have a big impact on our lives. So that's it. Thanks for watching. Bye.